Hello and welcome to Artbox D&V. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I met up with Colin Cessna. Colin is a planar artist who paints urban landscapes to landscapes. His style ranges from the representational to the non-representational. His play with color and light make for great storytelling. We talk about his use of color, materials, and his techniques. So, with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Alright, so are you ready? I'm ready. Alright, let's do this. So the little introduction question, and by the way, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. So what's your origin story? How did you get your start in visual arts? Sure. I've been drawing since I was a kid in elementary school. My mom shares the story a lot that in second grade, I believe the teacher at the time, the assignment was to draw your house, the house that you grew up in. And everybody did the homework assignment. And then the next day brought in your drawing of the house and in my drawing of the house, there was smoke coming from the chimney stack, and then there were blinds in the window, and then there was a little ghost. We still have this drawing, and a little ghost in the window, and, and the grass was all overgrown, and the teacher at the time was like, I think that your son, you know, talking to my mom, I think that your son's going to be an artist or into art. Just, I've, yeah. Or is your house haunted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was your house haunted? No, it wasn't okay. haunted, but for some reason, you know, I had to put that little ghost in the window. I don't blame you. Yeah. And so I've been drawing since I eventually went to high school for art. I went to Carver Center in Towson, Maryland. I went I went there for art. So is is what's it called? Uh, Carver? It's called Carver Center for the Arts and Technology. Oh, okay. And technology. And technology. Yeah, it's a school in Baltimore County and they have multiple disciplines. There's a carpentry program, a business program, a visual arts program, theater, all of that. And I went to that high school from ninth to 12th grade and the whole time drawing and painting. And then when I wasn't drawing and painting for homework assignments, I was drawing and mainly cartoons at the time. I just, I just, well, what kind of cartoons would you like to draw at the time? I was into Aqua Teen Hunger Force and all these things on Adult Swim and Cartoon Network. I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. They're still kicking it. Yeah. Oh, they are. Oh yeah. They got some new ones out. That's really funny. Yeah. I, I was into all of those cartoons and I would make these little comics. Like C-Lab 2020. Yes, and, yeah. exactly. Exactly. And I would make these spinoff comics and show my friends and we'd laugh and then I started making original characters and of one of the original characters there's this little wolf guy he, he he never had a name but he had these bug eyes and he was like this skinny wolf man and he had a villain there was like an antagonist and and that was kind of this doberman pincer or whatever with these no eyes he had or he had no pupils in his eyes he was just like a oh blank eyed yeah yeah villainous looking and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And yeah, so I, I kept drawing throughout high school. And all the while, the program in high school was focused also in traditional painting with, with oil and focused on still lives and figures and all of that. From from high school then, did you uh, jump right into art college or did you? No, I so out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Or I, needed, right? Yeah, exactly. So I started out at CCBC in Essex and I was a general studies major. So I was just taking the classes. Mm -hmm. At the time, I didn't know that I was looking for a specific class that would then help me choose my major. So I was going to CCBC and while I was there, I took 
an environmental science class. And I remember that really resonated with me because I had already been into science. And when you kind of combine earth, all of those disciplines together, I really took a liking to it. So then I graduated CCBC and then went to University of Baltimore to pursue a bachelor's degree in environmental science. So I finished that whole thing and and got my degree. And then I started working in construction, environmental science. And for a few years, I did that. That was up until two years ago. And then I started pursuing art full time. You came back. Was there a particular moment in time? You know, what made you the, to the switch? What made you go from, from environmental science career, which is a very needed profession, yeah. to an arts career, which yeah. is also very needed? So I was in this environmental science job for many years, and I kept climbing the ranks of the company. I eventually found that the workload got to be a lot for me and very stressful. When my wife and I, when we would go on vacation, I would go back to drawing and painting. You know, if we were if we would travel somewhere, I'd, I'd sit there and I'd draw and paint the landscapes. And that that kept bubbling up, you know, when we were either on vacation or back at our apartment at the time. I would just sit there and I'd draw in my spare time. And I remember talking to her on the side, asking her, do you think that could I could I quit my job? Could I pursue art full time? Make it financially viable. Exactly. And then that idea kind of faded out. And then I ended up, I just, I had to get out of the job and just do something else, whether it was another environmental science job or anything but that one with respect. So, well, I am kind of curious that with that kind of job, are you outside a lot or are you behind a desk inside? So when I first started, I was outside a lot, which I really, hmm. really enjoyed. I liked being outside and moving around, exercise, all of that. And then towards the end, I started to be inside, be inside and be inside a lot. And uh, that started to also wear on my. I was going to say it made you a sad Colin. Yes. Yeah. Sad Colin. Not good. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't ideal. No. So anyways, I, I ended up put my two weeks in back in June of 2020 and I started painting landscapes. But at the time I started painting landscapes for my sanity. You know, I, I was going out there to, to just turn, be outside, be outside. Yeah. And, and to try to turn that stress and worry off. And I remember just start, I started painting more and then taking, taking videos of going live on Facebook as I was painting. And then more people started to reach out to me on Facebook and, we're asking these questions, you know, like, have you been into painting and art? Like, we didn't know that you painted. We didn't know you did this. Uh, yeah, I've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. Look how awesome I am. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it was it was nice because then I said, you know, I was able to share with a bunch of people. I said, yeah, I, I was, I've been into drawing and painting and I'm just getting back into it, you know? Well, I was going to say, because there are probably some friends who knew you that did. Yeah, exactly. And they're probably were scratching their heads as a dude, why'd you get environmental science? Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm sure you had like the people that you knew after school that were like, Do you paint? <laughs> yeah. And it was it was nice to share that with them too, that yeah, I, I paint and and then they started to ask, Okay, well, where can we see your stuff? You know, where can we find your Right, yeah, where because that makes sense. Yeah. You know, uh it's like you if you start a band and you start putting flyers up <laughs> Saying the band's going to perform somewhere. People are going, well, where's the band playing at? Yeah, exactly. So I didn't have a good answer. I said, well, I, you know, I, <laughs> I just paint, I'm just painting in a field. You know, I'm just painting in a field. And then it started with pet portraits. Then people started to reach out and say, well, can you paint my dog? You know, can you paint a portrait of my dog? I said, sure, sure. 
And then more and more people started to ask for the pet portraits. And then yeah. I remember I was out in a field painting, you know, just like a river scene or something. And someone messaged me, hey, when when can I get my pet portrait? Like, when will it be finished? And, right. I, and I remember thinking, uh, I have to go and do these portraits now. You know, I can't be out in the field painting right now. So time to make the donuts, as they say. Exactly. So I collectively I went back to my studio and I started working on these pet portraits one after the other and Oof. yeah. And I worked on, I mean, no offense to the, the, the people asking for the commission, but still that's kind yeah. of grueling work. I totaled it up. It was about 39 portraits in a row mm. and, uh, but it was highly regimented in my studio. You know, I had a timesheet scheduling all of that and just working it out, just getting it done. And well, I mean, I can attest. I mean, I did, take a peek at your studio before we did the interview. And it is very organized in there. Thank now you admittingly said that you cleaned up, but I hate to imagine that cleaning up was probably five minutes because it was pretty organized to me. It's organized with the racks. I have, you know, I have all the mediums in different bins because I like to work in a bunch of different mediums. But before you showed up, I've, I've been into encaustic painting, beeswax painting. Oh, right. Well, let's don't, don't get too far ahead yeah, of exactly. ourselves. So, cause I want to, you know, sure. let the, the listener know what kind of stuff you, you do. <laughs> so, uh, what are some of the themes and issues you like to explore in your work? So recently I've been mainly painting landscapes and they've been evolving as far as like the themes I would say are, it's a color theme and a theme of oh. abstraction. And okay. it's hard to describe, but I've been painting every day for the past four or five months, mainly landscapes. And I'm seeing this change in my work an introduction of new colors and vibrant colors and also limited color palettes. So taking a risk, taking risks. And then also it's not the, the themes with the newer work. It's not every branch of a tree or every leaf, all this fine detail. It's more suggestive and, it's a really exciting time because, or it's really exciting for me painting this because I'm seeing this evolution as well. And I need to keep going. I need to see where the, where the colors can go yeah, and where the abstract painting can go. Well, and I hope you do. Don't stop pushing <laughs> yourself, you know? Yeah, I'll try. Cause uh, when I saw your work in Harper's Ferry, you know, there were a couple of pieces in there that really I thought were pretty awesome and bang up. And it was, I could tell that it was, it's like the one that uh, in particular I'm thinking of is the the orange background of Lower Town. And you added uh, some kind of really highly illustrated strokes to it to kind of really emphasize the building shapes and kind of the, and help added movement to it. Yeah. It, what was interesting about Harper's Ferry and the time spent in Harper's Ferry? I, I well, hold on. Maybe we should give it a little quick background. So you did a residency at the Harper's Ferry National Park this past spring, winter, yeah, spring. whatever it's called. Right. Spring. And uh, you had a, an exhibit, and I happened to go see the exhibit. So Yeah, thank you for coming. It's, oh, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so anyway, you said that, uh, uh, well, where, where are we going with this here? So we, we were talking about the orange piece. The I'm calling it orange. It's just basically uh, the landscape is, it's at an angle that's going downhill. You see the buildings, and then you, like I said earlier, you added kind of this really highly illustrated, very, you know, uh, motion. It really kind of gained a lot of motion in that piece. When, when I was in Harper's Ferry, for I was living there for a month, and I was able to do a bunch of different pieces and a bunch of different paintings. And that painting that you're talking about specifically, that was an expressive painting for me. I tried to limit the palette with only using a bright, fiery orange-red underpainting, and yeah. then 
sharp contrasting black lines over top. And I hadn't done a painting like that before. And I'm constantly trying to try new things, new, new techniques in my paintings. And, and also, yeah, and, and you're pushing yourself. Yeah. Pushing and yeah. trying to push myself. And I'm glad you like that painting because it's taking risks too. And, and there was a large abstracted flower field painting that didn't look anything like flowers in a field or oh, that piece yes yes and uh i was just out in the field throwing color at it because that's that's how i was feeling and that's also that's what was going on that yeah day. That, exactly i mean mentally and physically yeah yep with other themes in your work because i have seen that you do landscapes and i mentioned it a moment ago with that you like being outside absolutely so is that why you start doing a lot of the plein air stuff because you like being there and try to capture the moment yeah i i like painting Plein air, being out. So I live in Baltimore now, and I love going to Baltimore scenes, urban scenes by my house, and being out. I, I love interacting with people as they're walking by, and I love that a plein air scene can change minute to minute. Sometimes, especially with overcast skies, you know, you can start a painting in the morning and it'll be bright and sunny, and then by midday it'll be overcast, and the light is completely changed, including the colors of certain buildings. A constant challenge painting plein air but it's that challenge like sometimes the painting will really pay off and you can make a hmm i always think of a challenge is that interacting with people when i'm trying to work <laughs> yeah to that, me that's the challenge there are times where i'm painting and you know you you really you're in the zone exactly you start to get into that groove and then i'm like i'd really can you do a pet portrait for me yeah what, exactly what, what was that and you break concentration yeah i that's kudos to you i don't know if i can handle that <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes you know sometimes it definitely does but i can also see other times i know from my own personal experience i become the chatty kathy as, as i'm working <laughs> you know sure sure and it's amazing how i get work done when i'm being that that chatty recently i'll put my headphones on and i'm just listening to music and hopefully you know hopefully i should have thought of that um people <laughs> get the message you know like hey i'm 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 jamming out i'm i'm grooving and and getting into this painting so so what do you like to listen to like bach yeah <laughs> i do like slower tempo music as i'm painting kind of this like highly rhythmic music maybe like kind of it's hard to like chill like electronica chill yes, music exactly oh, okay things like that and then even um like slow guitar music i like to get into a trance sometimes as i'm painting oh that makes sense you know, because it does help the state of mind because then it frees your mind and other parts to, to focus on the painting. Sure, sure. So why and how do you choose the subjects you paint? Because you just mentioned you go into downtown a lot and paint the urban yeah. area around there. Well, why? Recently, it will be, so I, I painted a liquor store by my house, I, I think maybe three or four days ago, and there's a little purple statue of a man on top of this specific liquor store that little statue caught my eye the other day as i was driving by and just for that specific building i'm thinking to myself how can i make a painting around that little purple man not portrait of the liquor store but make a, a story uh, about this little man and why he's up on top of the roof yeah why would they put the yeah and and so it's little nuanced things like little messages that some of these older buildings sometimes can say. So there's a there's also a bar by my house that has a bright red door. I mean, like a neon red door, but the building itself is very brown. <laughs> so, I mean, even the brown 
brown rusty color kind of color. There's different eye. shades of brown, right? Yeah, right. and and I tried to incorporate that into a painting. That was about a year ago. So it was a very brown painting with one fiery red door in the middle of it, and it made for a really interesting painting. So. So for you, then it's more about when you go out. You could be doing a daily chore, and something will catch your eye, and you kind of let it fester in the back of your mind and you start kind of figuring out why is this here? Why is that that way? And you're like, I, I just got to do it. So you just go out and, and paint it. Yeah, absolutely. And recently one morning I was about to pack up my truck and go to a city landscape to go painting. And I was thinking, okay, well, why, why do I have to go to this city landscape? Can I do a painting around here? So I set up my easel out front of my house and just painted one of the lilies. We had a day lily that was in bloom, mm -hmm. but I painted it in an abstract way and motivated me to do paintings around my house so I didn't have to go very far. I was going to say, you have to go very far. Yeah. No, and that's kind of where I'm at now. And, and I was even in my kitchen today, there's a bunch of kind of old aged bananas on top of a red microwave with a light shining down on the bananas and hmm. so you could almost say that at this point that it just about anything is inspiring you yes yes uh, nothing's wrong with that traditionally i about a year ago it was only plein air you know i had to go see these things i had to go see a building had to be on location wait right. for sunset or sunrise for interesting light but now i, I really like the idea of well if you know if you like this banana plant find inspiration and paint a banana plant or a day lily or a red microwave and you don't have to wait for the golden hour to try to paint it no no and that's that's been nice well yeah and there's time and places to do the golden hour or to go outside but it is like you said sometimes there are stories that could be told you sit around you <laughs> around sure. your own home and that kind of also adds to how i've been painting recently i'm trying well for i don't know what i'm trying to do but i'm trying to evolve and paint in different styles and maybe hopefully develop more of a handwriting or a style. As you know, and as I know too, is this practice makes perfect or practice will make it worse. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, sure. you know, that's the thing. Just do it. So moving on, what are some of the, and I have to do air quotes here. What are some of your go-to uh, mediums and why? In, in the past, my go-to medium was pastel, soft pastel, not, oil pastels, but soft pastels. I really enjoyed the immediacy of that medium because it didn't require much. You go out to a plein air location and you have your piece of paper and your pastels and then you just start drawing. And what I liked about the pastels were that it looked like a finished painting because you're essentially drawing with color and you're, it, you could blend, you could not blend the pastels, which is nice. But recently I have found that I have if you do pastels every day, they really start to stack up in my house and collect. And yeah. to have a pastel finished, usually I like to frame it and to get the pastel matted on top of all of that. It starts to become a pain a bit when you have 30 or 40 pastels. So recently I've been working with acrylic paint and I love the also the immediacy of acrylic. You know, if you're going to a plein air location, I love that acrylic can dry in five minutes. If it's a super dry day, you yep. know, even shorter than that. And you, I bring a water mister and just kind of squirt the acrylic down. But even pushing the acrylic more, there are uh, 
acrylic paint markers that I love using. Oh, yes. And like the Montana markers. The Montana markers yeah. are the game changer for and me. We're not trying to promote them. We're just saying that they're good markers. <laughs> they are nice markers. They're yeah. really good. And and it feels like you're drawing. And, and that is kind of going back to the pastels. I love that you can hold the pastel and it feels like a pencil or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I've been using these Montana markers with a Posca markers or Posca, however you oh, pronounce yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it right either. So so it's a, it's a variety of acrylic on canvas or paper, or there's something called Canson Plein Air board. Oh, right, yeah. Which is so really So you like nice. using that a lot too. Sure. Sometimes I will use oil paints in the studio when it's a cold or a rainy day or if I'm working on a commission. It, oils are really nice for blending the colors. So yeah, recently it's been acrylic painting. I've, I've been doing that uh, for the past six months exclusively. And I also like that with acrylic painting, it dries so fast and then it's on a wood braced canvas. So you can give that to someone and then they can hang it up on the wall. You don't have to get it framed, you know, <laughs> under glass like past. Yeah. That, that starts to get costly too, you know, yeah, it does. framing 30 pastels. I had a show in downtown Baltimore in December of 2021. And was this the Zoe gallery? Yeah, the Zoe gallery. Yes. And I, I had to frame 25 pastels and that took two weeks that, you know, that's because I'm framing the things. Oof. Yeah. So mm. I had to reevaluate. It's fun to use pastel. It's great. It's very quick, but then in the long run, are you prepared or I'm saying for yourself, you're for, saying, yeah. or am I prepared? Am yeah. I prepared to buy 30 frames, <laughs> you know? Right. Or to uh, set up a situation where you can, you have to make your own frames, get a frame cutter. <laughs> exactly. Then you have to get a mat cutter and then you have to also get uh, the glass cutter. Sure. I mean, that is not, that's a pretty medium to large kind of investment. To sure. Make. Sure. I, and I do enjoy working with watercolor on occasion and uh, it's nice because watercolor doesn't, I, I don't mat the watercolors. You can just frame them easily. And it's true. Yeah. Just don't get them wet. Yeah. Just don't, boom. <laughs> exactly. Which has happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, acrylic, acrylic's been my favorite recently. As, as of right now, right? As of right now. Yes. Um, well, you we were telling, you were talking to me about doing some caustic work. Yes. So you're still kind of working on or figuring that out. I don't know if figuring is the right word, but I guess working with it. So I've, I've, I have this manual at my house. I got it at Jerry's Artorama and it talks about specific types of painting. And in there it says encaustic beeswax painting. And I had to research that because I didn't know what that was. I, yeah. I, I maybe have seen encaustic painting in the past. So I did the research and I, I was asking myself, how can I get into encaustic painting without spending a fortune? And yeah, because that is something that you could easily spend a lot of money. Same, on. Yeah. Same thing when you, you know, you start It's yeah, an investment. It's an investment. So I started looking into the beeswax painting and I've, I, I've got into this with $50 in the project and that it has been occupying my time this whole, maybe the past two weeks. And what I really <laughs> enjoy about encaustic beeswax painting as is, of right now, as of right now, you can't, for me, it's very hard to control this medium yeah. and, because you are heating the beeswax to 200 degrees on the high end. And then you're using a blowtorch to fuse the beeswax to whatever surface you're working on. And in this instance, I'm, I'm painting on a ceramic tile. Yeah. And I have really enjoyed the loss of control. You know, this mark make, hmm. I, I like the mark making and I like using the blowtorch cause you're exposing all these new colors. But if detail, I, 
I can't get any detail from this Not page. yet, but Not then yet. again, it's like, maybe do you want to? Because like you said, if you enjoy the uncontrollableness, that's... Yes. Yeah. It's a lot to explore there. Yeah, it's been really neat. And and I've I've been making the paints at my house, which I love making my own art supplies. In the, in the past, I've been making my own soft pastels from pigments in my backyard. I've, I I love science. I you know. I well, I was going to say, a lot of people kind of forget that pigments are, in some cases, literally as dirt. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I've, I've been doing the research about how to make pastel watercolor paints and now how to make encaustic beeswax painting for, for as cheap as possible. We were talking about how uh, the mediums that you use, uh, and you did mention this earlier, what roles of color and emotion uh, play into your work? Sure. If, even recently. So right. my, my recent paintings, I've tried to keep these colors that I'm using to maybe three primary colors hmm. and keeping with a, a scheme, a palette, and usually a warmer colors, very energetic. You know, if I'm using like bright primary yellow, orange, and red, I'm trying to convey an energetic or even a childlike palette, you know, making it look a little bit more um, playful. Right. Whereas some of the larger oil paintings that I've done, I've used Payne's Gray, which is... Oh, I love Payne's Gray. Man, I love it. Yeah, it... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. I got a story about that. But go ahead. <laughs> Payne's gray and manganese blue and titanium white. I, I just used three colors for this painting, be, and they were on the cooler side. So I was trying to maybe represent more. This sounds a little dark, but despair or sorrow. Or, well, because really, yeah, that's kind of the concept, right? That's, exactly. You were trying to get the idea across, and that's sometimes what you need to do, right? Yeah, so sometimes I'm trying to convey... Uh, a movement, a happy feeling or a sad feeling. And then there's the painting, like what I did in Harper's Ferry, the flower field where it was all the colors at once. Yeah. And I'm trying to make a complex network of colors that to the viewer might be hard to nail down. When you think of from an abstract thought or view, it, we do just see blobs of color every day. Yeah. When you think about it, you know. And and one of the things that I like to do sometimes, if it's a flower field, for example, you know, you crouch down slightly below the horizon line to look through the, the flower petals, and then yeah. you can see this abstraction of the flower stems. And there's so many different colors going on in this one view. For me, I enjoy with this abstract painting, trying to get those colors true to nature but maybe the form and the representational aspect of these flowers is not as important for this specific painting what about motion though do you try to achieve motion as to help tell a narrative or a story or is it just come like it just i, I just feel this thing needs to have motion in it yeah it's interesting i think of motion in art as Maybe it's a more conventional view of like a blurred bicycle riding by if it's a street scene or something like. Okay. To me, motion could be related to light. And if plein air painting, the light changes uh, the motion of light throughout the painting process, there will be times where I'll be painting a building or whatever subject matter. The, the light will show through the sunlight and I will try to incorporate that specific moment in time as fast as possible. So if it's a bright red car on the street scene and I see this sun shoot through that motion, I'll try to capture, hmm. I'll, maybe if it's just for five minutes, get that bright red car in there 
and then typical Baltimore weather, it'll get overcast yeah, very quick. Yeah. And then the buildings could be grayed out because, or bland. And then it's those little moments sometimes because I paint midday a lot and it's tricky to get this. So you picked basically the hottest time of day. The hottest time. Yeah. Where um, basically there's very little shadow. Exactly. No. Very it, harsh shadows. Wow. It you, gets, it gets tricky. It gets I was going to say that would get tricky. But with that passing light, I would say with that motion, yeah, if there are no cast shadows like that, you have to look for those little little rays of light and areas of interest. And that takes a little bit of training to do too, right? I mean, you can't sure. just, uh, like the first day you went out and did some plan area, you were like, oh, God, sure. there we go. It took, took a while to develop, yeah, I'm assuming. That's, I, I was going to say that when you plan air paint multiple times a week, I make a lot of bad paintings sometimes. And uh, especially if it's an overcast day or you know i wasn't feeling right or didn't capture this motion this color or there was sugar in your coffee there's sugar in my <laughs> coffee exactly it doesn't turn it doesn't turn out well and but i i like those paintings as well i like that the paintings didn't turn out successful in my opinion well i was gonna say because you can learn you were learning at the time and you can learn of okay how can i make it better but on top of that it, it's you did it <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean it, it is that simple it's like you know nowadays like uh, to use an example is like nowadays the government recommends people just to stand up mm -hmm. and they consider that being healthy mm -hmm. so <laughs> that's a low bar right so sure. you know by just going out there even if it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to it's still you still did it sure and then there are times where I'll, i will be on site painting uh, plein air and i don't like it a certain piece that I'm working on and then give it two or three days once I'm back at my house and I haven't looked at the painting and then I look at it that it turns out that I actually do like it and and it could be a yeah. successful painting that that's entertaining as well and like what you said I put the time into it I went out on location and got it done well and also at the end of the day you can always repaint over it. it's just paint <laughs> <laughs> yeah I but I don't blame you if you don't do that I don't either but uh, I haven't done that yet I actually did that once but that was just, yeah, that was once. Okay. That was once. How do viewers respond to your work? And is there anything they may not understand about it? Sure. So overall, people like to comment on, on the paintings. And I've, I've, through word of mouth, you know, people really enjoy most of the paintings that I do. Uh, it's very colorful. I would say most of them are pleasing to the eye. Whereas I do have certain paintings that I don't show people. And I have been told by others that I should share these paintings because I'm afraid of how they will be perceived if I release some of these paintings. So yeah. with this encaustic beeswax paintings, they are on the darker side because I grew up drawing monsters as a way to well, the process, what was going on in your life? Exactly, exactly. I through. mean, you did draw, you did draw a ghost in a house. Yeah, that, exactly. That with overgrown lawn. So, <laughs> yeah, and but what I'm learning as as an artist too is that you don't know how someone could perceive a painting or a piece of artwork if you don't put it out there too. So I have been releasing a lot of these what I call darker images, and sure enough, people people respond well to it, you know, for the most part. And, and I've, I've made paintings where it looks like blood is running down the, the painting and, but it wasn't my intention to do that. But some uh, people have told me that, you know, I really like 
this painting. I don't know why I do. I just do. And yeah, it's like an emotional response. Yeah. And it's, it's been wonderful. I have drawings that I did in high school. And one of the neatest experiences that I had was brought some of these drawings from high school. I made prints of them with me. And I went to this music festival where I was, you know, vending some of my artwork. And a young lady came up and she ended up buying this print monster that I drew in high school. And it, it kind of resonated with me that, okay, to me, this was a sketch. You know, this was something that was not complete or not ready for the viewer's eyes. But to her, it, it resonated with her. She was very interested. And I'm trying as an artist to keep that in mind because it's the same thing when I started the pet portraits. I had a label as a pet portrait artist. You know, I was doing the dog portraits. That was the dog guy. Yeah. And then I started doing lands landscapes. And people at the time were asking me, hey, I thought, you know, I thought you were. Uh, I thought you were doing dogs. I thought you were doing dogs. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know that you were into doing cityscapes. And I said, I'm into kind of everything. You know, I'm into well, right. everything. So that's that's where I'm at now is is trying to continue to to grow as an artist, but also share some of this, I call it more bizarre stuff, but it shouldn't be, I don't know. It shouldn't be labeled bizarre. I, it, it all has its place. Oh, I was going to say it, it does. And right now you might be using the terminology bizarre or it, it will change it can exactly. be something else. So, uh, this is my favorite question. And I say this a lot in interviews. I know that it's kind of a mind trick question, but it's not, I'm not tricking you. <laughs> so what advice would you give to your past self? And to other artists. Man, this is this is a good question. It's my favorite question. In hindsight, when I first started, you know, a full-time artist painting pet portraits, I had this highly regimented mindset of get a portrait done in a certain amount of time. I had spreadsheets where, you know, everything was timed out very organized. And I, I put myself under a lot of pressure. And what I've found recently is when you create stuff that you want to do as an artist, paint whatever interests you, that interests other people more. So if hmm. potentially, if so, what I could say to my past self is do what you want to do, do what you want to paint, what interests you. And then this success or whatever, as an artist, it will come also to stop worrying so much. I have a tendency to worry a lot. I have bad cases of anxiety and throughout the past few months, I've definitely been working on it, but don't stress so much. Just do what interests you and hopefully good art, good paintings will come from that drawings, whatever. This is a, this is a tricky question, man. I like it. It's very, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's multi-layered. Yeah, yeah it it's is. very, it, but yeah, I would say just do what interests you and, and kind of double down on that. And and yeah. also it's okay to make mistakes. And this is, I've made a bunch of mistakes and trying to get every single detail. Like when I first started drawing and painting, I had to get, you know, every eyelash had to be right. And, right, and right. if if you're trying to get all those details in, it can be very daunting when you first started drawing or painting because you know the amount of detail that's going to go into this. Where where now, you know, like what you're saying, I'll have a blank canvas. And if this writer's block sets in, you could fill up a water balloon, fill with paint, put it in your backyard, 
put the canvas down in the grass and throw a water bo- water balloon filled with paint on this canvas and just watch the color splash across it. Something would stir from you, you know, it's yes. hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. And, and that's what I've found is even if you're going to, yeah, I, I try to attack these paintings politely, <laughs> right? Well, you know, right. and add as much color in and it's okay to make mistakes. You can, you can fix them. I was told that when I first started painting and just kind of this overall theme of you're going to make it as an artist. Well, you know, did you go to school for it? Did you go to college? Did you, cause if you didn't, it's going to be difficult to make it financially. And I have learned that. So I didn't go to college for art. And when I started in 2020, I didn't know much as far as like the, the art field goes. I was just drawing dogs and drawing a landscape. And throughout the past few years, I've learned that networking with other artists in your area is huge. That goes such a long way. And just like asking and talking to people, whether it's a local restaurant by your house, talk to the owner and see if you can get your artwork in there. There's no harm or put it online. However, if you're hesitant about putting the artwork out there, I understand, but I've learned just kind of do it and just, and just keep well, putting you just gotta it out do there. it Cause no one's going to do it for you. Exactly. Exactly. And so, I say that a lot to people. Yeah. And I'm still learning all the time and I'm not, I, I know that I'm never going to stop learning cause, but I just am trying and I'm, and I'm exploring the options. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. I want to say thank you to Colin for doing the interview. If you want to learn more about his work, go to his website at www.colincessnaartwork.com. You can also go to his Instagram at Colin underscore Cessna underscore artwork. To hear this episode and past episodes of Artbox DMV, head over to the website at artboxdnv.com. And Artbox DMV is on Instagram at Artbox DMV. So until next time, thank you for listening. Wow.